you're listening to the TB Pod, a podcast for clinicians and policymakers caring for patients with tuberculosis. In these podcasts, we chat with expert clinicians, researchers, policymakers, and advocates about their work in the field of tuberculosis. The TB Pod is prepared by the Australasian Clinical TB Network, ACTNET, and the TB Forum. You can subscribe on iTunes or download episodes through the ACTNET website. This is an interview with Dr. Anthony Byrne, who's the clinical lead for tuberculosis at St. Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. And today we're going to talk about post-TB lung disease. Thanks for talking with us today, Anthony. No, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me along, Greg. So we're really interested in understanding more about post-TB lung disease. So do you think you could start off by telling us why is it important? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, So the reason that post-TB lung disease is important is we're getting a lot better at treating people with TB. And there was a number that's actually in the 2019 Global Health Report uh, from the WHO that says that 58 million people were successfully um, treated for their tuberculosis since the year 2000. So that actually means that there's a lot of TB survivors that unfortunately also some of them will have will have post-tuberculosis lung disease. And the actual number is is not known, but there's a lot of research that has been done to date uh, that points to this number being uh, potentially quite significant. And those people that experience post-tuberculosis lung disease, we think have a greater burden of uh, symptoms such as uh, cough and sputum production and breathlessness. And there's also an economic cost to uh, those uh, those symptoms. The other reason that it's important is that uh, these patients are perhaps also from preliminary data at an increased risk of getting TB again and certainly they are at increased risk of representing to TB services with their respiratory symptoms uh, that are left undiagnosed and that in itself is a problem. So you've talked about post-TB lung disease generally, what types of lung disease occur after tuberculosis? So this is one of the reasons that post-TB lung disease is a research challenge because it's not simply one entity and post-TB lung disease, which is the umbrella term that we've recently coined from the recent inaugural TB post-TB symposium in Stellenbosch in South Africa, uh, incorporates a number of respiratory conditions. Uh, so this, uh, for example, uh, bronchiectasis, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, pulmonary fibrosis, uh, pulmonary cavities, uh, restrictive lung physiology, and more serious and hopefully less common sequelae such as bronchopleural fistula and tracheobronchial stenosis. The other important thing is that these structural abnormalities that can occur in some but not all patients with treated tuberculosis also result in an increased risk of certain infections, certainly chronic fungal disease, uh, mycetomas within cavities, and both tuberculosis and non-tuberculous mycobacterium have been described in this uh, group of patients. Certainly this is not a a new thing. We've known ever since TB was diagnosed that 
and that, that it affects the lungs. And so the fact that lung disease might be a consequence of TB is certainly not a new concept. So in a patient who finishes their TB treatment and they feel well, um, how likely is it that they'll have lung disease present and how likely is it that they'll go on to get lung disease later on? So there's a, there's a lot of variables in, in this and probably what's really important is the amount of time that a patient's uh, had to wait before their TB was diagnosed and more importantly, the amount of time they waited before they received effective therapy. So if they had MDR and they only received first-line therapy, then we would think that they're more likely to end up with uh, respiratory sequelae. And this is supported by some of the evidence. Evidence. So we've uh, certainly got the benefit of some systematic reviews that have been done on this uh, question of how common is post-tuberculous lung disease. Uh, the, the research varies from case series to case control studies and also population-based studies. And from those systematic reviews, we could estimate that perhaps there is a threefold increased risk of people, for example, having COPD in the community, um, people with COPD in the community uh, that have had a history of tuberculosis compared to people with COPD without a history of tuberculosis. Uh, I think that that will be highly variable depending on the setting. And so in countries where there's more TB, um, you would expect the number of people with post-tuberculous lung disease to be higher. So say, for example, in Australia, should we be testing our TB patients for lung disease after they've completed therapy? My, my bias would be to say yes uh, for a number of reasons. One is because we're a high-resource setting and so we have the capacity to test our patients for chronic lung disease. I think we have to go back to the definition of what is post-TB lung disease. And the definition that we um, coined in the Stellenbosch Symposium via a Delphi consensus was that post-tuberculosis lung disease is evidence of chronic respiratory abnormality with or without symptoms that's attributable at least in part to previous tuberculosis of the lung. So using that definition, it's uh, entirely possible that patients may not have symptoms. And uh, so in that setting, um, if we were only screening those people with symptoms, then we, we will miss um, percentage of the population. The other question, I guess, is why why would we do this and what's the motivation for doing it in Australia compared to another country? Um, I, I think one of the key questions and a signal that's been raised in the literature from a number of studies recently is the idea of an increased mortality in post-TB patients. And in fact, in Australia, we are unable at the present time to answer the question of what is the one-year, five-year and ten-year mortality of TB patients. Um, I don't believe that there's any evidence or literature on that at the moment. And so if we think that these patients with uh, treated TB are completely fine, it seems as though there's some signals in the literature that suggest that that may not be the case, both because of an increased mortality rate and also because of the possibility of some of this mortality and certainly morbidity 
is due to post-TB lung disease. So it could be the case that some of the risk factors for TB are also risk factors for chronic lung disease, for example, smoking um, or other um, environmental or social factors. Um, could it not be that those factors are the explanation for this increased risk of disease rather than the TB itself? So that's that's an important question, and um, certainly it's it's an important one to answer. And in fact, that's why we uh, designed the study that that I did as part of my PhD in Peru to um, adequately adjust for those uh, covariates. And, and that was one of the limitations in the previous literature that uh, previous TB patients also share other risk factors for lung disease. So in the pulmones post TB study in Lima, we uh, did a, it was a, um, a population-based uh, cohort study um, where we compared lung function um, and other respiratory outcomes for patients successfully treated for both drug-susceptible and multidrug-resistant tuberculosis and compared it to the same population with subjects chosen at random. Uh, and we were able to adjust for those covariates, such as smoking, such as air pollution, such as indoor smoke exposure. And in that study, what we found was that patients with successful treatment of multidrug-resistant tuberculosis had a risk of obstructive lung function between one and three years post-treatment of 3.53%. and these, these people, these patients were young. These were 29-year-olds uh, with a median age, and 80% were never smokers. So this population would not usually be uh, people that we would think of when we think of COPD. In fact, as you know, in the BOLD study, uh, you couldn't even get into the study if you were under the age of 40, and yet these people are less, uh, less than that by a long way. So I think that's a, a very strong signal that at least in that population, when you adjust for those covariates, uh, TB seems to be the main reason for their uh, lung function impairment. And how much effect does post-TB lung disease have on people's quality of life and upon their um, general morbidity? I think, once again, this is uh, an area of research that's unfortunately lacking. There, there are a number of cohort studies that are, are going on at the moment uh, with uh, one in Malawi that I'm aware of that's following up patients um, that have had TB treatment and have lung disease and looking at all those um, uh, important um, morbidity that's associated with it, such as uh, respiratory symptoms and also the economic impact and the mental health impact that, that this can have. And, and I think that data, which at the moment is pending, um, is really important to raise awareness and advocacy for why this could be an important topic. But I only recently found out that, in fact, the Disability uh, Adjusted Life Year, the DALI concept, um, for TB specifically, allocates um, a DALI of, uh, I believe, one to patients with uh, TB whilst they're on treatment. But once they've finished treatment, there is no DALI that's allocated. So there's no recognition that there is any impairment at all from a morbidity or mortality standpoint after TB. And the current literature that we have, uh, of which there are more and more being published each year, uh, seems to suggest otherwise. 
So the, the obvious question next then is what can we do about it? Um, what evidence is there that there's any intervention that can actually help to either reduce the onset of post-TB lung disease or to reduce its impact? So that's a good question. And unfortunately, there's a, there's a lack of good quality studies looking at interventions for post-TB lung disease. Uh, there is some work that's been done on pulmonary rehabilitation in Africa and, and also, I believe, in India uh, that, it, that shows that it's uh, something that's um, feasible to introduce to patients after they've completed TB treatment and um, it does result in improvement in symptoms, um, which is not surprising given that we know pulmonary rehab is well studied in other respiratory conditions. In terms of um, other interventions such as pharmacotherapy, for example, we're at a complete loss to really um, be guided by the literature. Uh, most of the studies, if not all of the studies, uh, on inhaled bronchodilator inhaled steroid therapy uh, for, say, COPD, for example, is very much in a smoking population. If you have uh, less than 10 pack years of smoking or a history of TB, you do not get into the, um, the trials. There is, there is one study that was uh, a case control study done by um, uh, Kim and published this year in Respiratory Research on the use of titropium in Korea, in South Korea. And in that retrospective cohort study, which was analysis and analysis of the National Korean uh, database, um, they found that 963 patients uh, with post-tuberculous lung disease that were followed for 10 years, um, of those patients that were prescribed ALAMA, um, so important to say that this is not a randomized study, but a case control study, and 105 that were receiving a, a long-acting uh, muscarinic agonist in the form of titropium compared to those not receiving, uh, that this population of um, mainly um, ex-smokers and never smokers with significant lung function impairment, mean FEV1 of 45%, did have improved survival with a median of seven, just over seven years. Um, and the Cox proportion analysis was quite wide between 0.38 and 0.82 um, with a significant p-value. So, so there is some uh, very preliminary uh, data that suggests that um, bronchodilators may be useful in a post-tuberculous lung disease, but um, very much this is a, an area that requires uh, further research. And so um, presumably bronchodilators are working at the level of the small and medium airways. How about in terms of the large airways? Um, is there any evidence of any interventions, for example, around you know, bronchiotracheal stenosis or other um, sort of large airways effects of tuberculosis? We, we certainly see that, and for those um, few patients that do have uh, tracheobronchial stenosis, um, there probably is a role for stenting um, in a very you know, small subgroup. But I think, um, I'm not sure what your experience is, Greg, but um, certainly in my experience, we haven't seen a lot of large airway stenosis in our population of patients. And I was recently talking with Brian Allwood, who's a pulmonologist, respiratory physician in South Africa, who's also done a lot of work on this. And he sort of said a similar thing, that a lot of his patients, uh, very few of them will, will have large airway stenosis. I remember talking to um, Professor Alan Glanville, and he is uh, very much uh, 
experienced uh, interventional pulmonologist being a transplant physician, and he's uh, given um, instruction to some of our Southeast Asian colleagues in the past on uh, the insertion of uh, bronchial stents for post-tuberculous um, obstructive lung disease. So it certainly does exist, but I, I would suspect that it's a, it's a small minority of, of our patients. So what's on the horizon? What research is ongoing at the moment that's going to help us to address some of these issues? So there is a study that we're about to start in India, in southern India, in Mysore and surrounding areas in five health centres there. And the study question that we're going to try and answer there is to look at introducing screening for, chronic res- for, for respiratory disease early on in um, the treatment TB treatment pathway. So in fact, in that study, we're going to, within the first two months of TB diagnosis and treatment, um, screen um, patients with lung function and CT scans for obstructive lung function, significant bronchiolator response that may suggest asthma, and the presence of uh, dilated segments on the CT scan that would be in keeping with bronchiectasis. And in those patients that we diagnose with those conditions, we would give them uh, specific treatments um, for those conditions, such as a, uh, a Lava-Lama combination in the, uh, for COPD patients or an ICS Lava in the case of uh, asthma. The intervention for bronchiectasis is a sputum expectoration device, uh, kindly donated by a Canadian company, that um, aids sputum expectoration. And the, I would be, uh, the idea of this study would be to look at uh, the intervention compared to standard TB treatment um, uh, at the end of six months of TB treatment uh, to see if there's a difference in respiratory symptoms and lung function, and also as a secondary outcome, um, TB treatment outcome. The other, the other component to the intervention is also smoking cessation for anyone that is a smoker and a pulmonary rehab uh, which will consist of um, twice a week yoga um, combined with pulmonary rehab sessions for uh, eight weeks, which is a protocol um, that was shared with um, by um, uh, another group, um, uh, Rupert Jones, who's doing um, some work on this in post-TB uh, lung disease. So, so that's a, a small study, um, a sample size of uh, 240 in five centres in Mysore, uh, hoping to start recruitment in the next month or two and we'll follow up patients for 12 months post-treatment completion. So hopefully that will um, give some idea at least to the feasibility of incorporating this into um, a TB treatment um, program with, with minimal cost. Um, and then there are plans to look at, in a, in a larger study, the uh, effect of um, particularly inhaled corticosteroids and long-acting bronchodilators in a post-TB population. There are real concerns, particularly from um, some of our colleagues in other other countries where, for example, in South Africa, they have an ICS LABA uh, that's available to them to, to use for COPD patients as they don't have a, a LAMA or a LABA-LAMA that's um, uh, at, uh, appropriate, uh, at a good price for patients to access. And they have really really significant concerns about the risk of infection, particularly TB relapse in, in these patients that have had TB and have now got obstructive lung function. So there's a, there's a real need and urgency for doing some of these studies, uh, not only because it might benefit patients, but also because there may actually be harm associated with uh, some of these treatments.
And so is the hypothesis that the um, use of uh, inhaled steroids is going to reduce inflammation? And, and what is the mechanism of that once you've treated the TB? Hasn't the inflammatory trigger already um, been addressed? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting idea. I, I think some of the, re certainly the research um, that looks at the changes in lung function that occur with with TB, and um, I have to mention uh, my colleague Marshall Plitt, who in fact did his um, PhD on this in the late 90s in South Africa, looking at the change of CRP and lung function in a cohort of patients with um, tuberculosis. And uh, it certainly improves, as you would expect, with TB treatment, um, but the plateau of improvement um, continues after uh, treat treatment is, is finished. And so um, there is it seems um, uh, pathophysiology of the inflammation and the insult to the lung continues despite the uh, mycobacterium being long gone, and and there are there are um, uh, similarities with this uh, in other conditions. We know that COPD, you know, is a, is an inflammatory condition and and can affect uh, even organs outside the body with the inflammation that continues despite smoking. Uh, um, cessation. Um, certainly there, there are a, lo a lot of inflammatory mediators and uh, work uh, to try and understand uh, on a cellular level what are, the, what are the reasons for these lung insults because certainly it's, um, it's true to say that two patients with TB will not end up um, with the same lung function or respiratory impairment. One can be completely normal and the other one can be um, quite impaired. So there's, there's certainly genetic and other um, uh, differences which we, we don't fully understand. I think matrix um, metalloproteinases are uh, a particular um, group of substances that have been identified as being uh, crucial in the lungs response uh, to, to TB and other infections that can result in, if they're upregulated, uh, damage to the, um, to the uh, collagen and the, um, the, the structure of the lung. Thanks very much. So just a final question then to bring it all together. So say we're working in um, a high-income country with um, uh, reasonably good case detection, um, such as in Australia or, uh, or in the US, and we're seeing a patient who's being treated for TB. Specifically, what testing would you recommend and what advice would you give to both the patients and the doctors in relation to post-TB lung disease? Mm. So, so my practice is um, to at the end of TB treatment to perform complex lung function testing. So I'm lucky enough to have access to that with um, a good respiratory function laboratory where we can do pre and post bronchodilator spirometry. But there is a lot of work um, that Brian Allward's done on the value of residual you know, lung volumes and plethmography. And, and it's probably true to say that there are a, a subgroup of patients with normal spirometry that will have, for example, gas trapping that's identified on um, lung volumes. Um, so if you don't have access to that, you may miss some of that. So I would suggest doing lung function at the completion of TB treatment, um, along with some imaging. My preference is to do a CT scan, and there is uh, perhaps some value in an end expiratory CT scan. There's oftentimes quite a significant difference between a gas trapping scene in an end expiratory CT compared to a standard CT. And I would um, uh, give uh, treatment based on what I saw physiologically and from a symptom perspective 
Uh, I'd like to keep a very close eye on the microbiology of the patients uh, with sending samples for culture, not only for mycobacterium, but also for bacterial and fungal culture, because we know these patients are at higher risk of those infections. And I would follow them up, and uh, usually I would follow them up for uh, a time determined by the severity of their um, impairment, but probably should be a minimum of two years, um, which I don't think is incorporated into any formal guidelines, but I know a lot of my colleagues would do a similar thing and follow up their patients for a couple of years after their TB has been treated. Great, fantastic. Well, thanks very much for giving us an insight into that fascinating area of um, post-TB lung disease. And it's obviously a, um, a moving field with lots of um, interesting uh, research underway, including your own in India. So thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us today. My no, pleasure. Thanks for having me, Greg.